I think maybe sometimes some people do get sidetracked by the term smart city and they say, oh, we need to, you know, do the coolest, newest thing ever. Uh, we need to innovate. But maybe that's not true for your city. Maybe it's just better to replicate at this point and check out what the others have done and see how you can use what is already there and and, and just implement that in, in, in a city. And as you say, sometimes it just doesn't need to be the fancy stuff. You need the foundations in place first, whatever that might be in, in your case and in, in the city that you are working in. As my community friends, in this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a brilliant conversation with Leah Hemmetsberger, the Communications and Projects Director for Open and Agile Smart Cities, which is an international network of cities and communities. Leah tells us about her background in journalism and passion for cities, mobility and literature, before sharing with us how her master's degree sparked her interest in the smart city space. We discuss the importance of having a long-term vision and strong basic foundations for smart cities, as well as a bit about how open and agile smart cities came to be and what they do. Then we dive into a great chat about digital twins, exploring some of the potential real use cases as a way of moving through the hype disillusionment cycle and the mindset changes that are needed to get all stakeholders on board. We finish our conversation discussing the emerging trends of standards and interoperability. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Leah. How are you today? Hey, Zoe. I'm really well, and I'm really happy to be here with you. So thanks for inviting me over to the podcast. No, I'm really excited to have you. And let's just jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Sure. Uh, so my name is Leah. Um, I currently work for Open and Agile Smart Cities, um, a cities network in the smart city domain, as the name already tells. Uh, and I'm there, the communications and projects uh, director. My background is actually not technical at all. I am a journalist by training. So I, I did my bachelor's in journalism back in Germany. And, um, oh, you know, by doing internships in uh, the world of automotive, I sort of also got in touch with technology. I, I really enjoyed that. I got curious in, in mobility. I, I always was interested in the big, massive cities, but I, I never really imagined that I would work with smart cities at some point. That sort of came by coincidence, as it sometimes happens uh, in life. But maybe I'll talk a bit about that at a later point. What I'm really passionate about, there are a couple of things. As I mentioned it already, I, I really enjoy cities and the really big cities. Uh, maybe that's because I grew up in a, in a small town of 15,000 inhabitants. I was always sort of intrigued by by how these massive, you know, networks, people, how that goes together and and what comes out of these cities um, in the end, if, if all goes well. I mean, a lot of creativity, a lot of connections. It's just such an interesting space, um, cities um, themselves. And also linked to that, I was always a bit interested in mobility itself how it connects, how it affects people as well. And then there comes tech and, and how, you know, tech sometimes weaves things together, but if it's not done, done in a right way, 
it can also have, you know, the adverse effect. So this is a really interesting like combination of interests. And then I also, so what I really, really love is just literature. I, I love, you know, getting into a book and, you know, forget about time. That's so much about my passions. Love it. I've been getting into books again recently. I shouldn't say again, because when I was a kid, I was the math science person. And even when I was younger, like my sister was, you know, reading all the time and I just couldn't understand it. And I didn't start reading until I read Harry Potter number six, actually. Um, and, six? Yeah, weird story. My mum was reading it and I was going to Vanuatu with my friend. Who, her dad was getting married over there. Anyway, so I just grabbed this book and was like, oh, I'm going to need a book to read on the plane because this was 2005, so before, you know, you had a Kindle or iPhone, like, so on a plane for however long. And so I just grabbed this book that mum had and um, she was probably enjoying it, but anyway, I took it. And um, I was just like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And then when I came back, I had to, yeah, read them all. And then that's what got me into reading. But lately I've been, yeah, I have been reading a lot. But actually I shouldn't say reading. I've been listening to audiobooks. I find it much more consumable because I can do stuff at the same time. But anyway, enough about me. But I, I'm very interested in, I guess, writing now and talking to writers and like the journalism side of things. And yeah, I find it really fascinating. And you can just, you can weave yourself into so many different areas. Is that one of the reasons why you're, I guess, so interested in, I guess, writing about smart cities and all that type of stuff? Like, how did you get into this kind of smart city and community space? Yeah, it was not actually through the journalism aspect of it. After that and after my internship, I actually put up, uh, I, I added a master's to uh, my profile and I, I went to Brussels for that, which was not that far away, but still, you know, outside of the country. And there, so that was, the master was called New Media and, and Society in Europe. And I was not expecting at all that Smart Cities was on the curriculum, but it, as it appeared, there was a master thesis offer so that you could choose from topics and one was called open data in the mobility sector. And I thought, hey, that is super interesting. I have no clue what open data is, um, but I like the mobility aspect. <laughs> and so I, I, I chose this one. And then, you know, if you have open data, if you have business models and mobility, the smart city is just around the corner. So it was a you know critical part of that thesis. And also as, as part of this, I did an internship back then already at Open and Agile Smart Cities. And then one thing fell into place with the other one and I got hooked and it just worked out also really well. And from there, yeah, it was basically a love story, if you can yeah. like, say it like that. No, I love it. Okay. Well, let's ask the hard question. What is a smart community to you? It is really a hard question, I have to say. You know, you can you can use the the overall definition that I think we all know that a smart city is simply a place that applies technology ideally were suitable to improve the lives of citizens. I think we should also sort of follow, especially the part where uh, technology is used to improve life and to sort of solve challenges. I think that can go and that impacts a lot of aspects within the city. Uh, that can be digital services, e-gov services, you know, better data management internally and externally, sharing with your colleagues across silos, you know, environmental uh, department sharing data with the mobility departments sharing publicly as open data that cannot but it, it can also i think especially recently we're seeing 
that smart city tech is also or digital solutions overall is seen as a means to reduce the carbon footprint of cities and communities. So that is also quite interesting, a new aspect that is also linking to improving the lives of citizens. So smart city actually means, I think, a lot of things. It is and has always been also a marketing term, so we shouldn't forget that. So we really should think about what does it mean. And I think what I just mentioned is, you know, the basics. And personally, I, I think that we all show, also should see that a smart city is actually a city or a community that, that acts smartly. Like, you know, you think about the things that you do, also have a long-term vision that doesn't necessarily put technology in the focus, but also highlights uh, transparency, citizen participation, and maybe thinking about, you know, the challenge that you have. Maybe it's not technology that solves your issue. But it could be. And often it is, especially in times, I think, when cities um, have reduced budgets. You know, look at the COVID-19 pandemic. I think without technology, this would have been even even you know, worse by far. So it's always a case by case. But I think the most important thing is to have a, a long-term vision for a smart city. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of the time, and we talk a lot about, you know, not being about technology, but a lot of the time... Some form of technology, whether it's advanced or basic, is part of the solution. But those other things are so important and we can't forget about those things like communication, telling our stories, you know, change management, the way that we do things a bit differently. So I think, yeah, I really like your answer because I think it does cover kind of all the grounds. And we've been talking about this thing for a long time and it was a marketing term to begin with. But I was having a great conversation even just today with a council and they were talking about, oh, well, these are our smart city projects and these are our getting, they call them like basic projects, like getting it right kind of thing. And I was like, well, actually, they fit into your smart city. You know, it doesn't have to be this kind of, you know, citywide thing or, or you know, city services thing. It can be, you need these foundational things first before you can build on top of that to be a smart city. So, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's that's totally right. and. I think maybe sometimes um, some people do get sidetracked by the term smart city and they say, oh, we need to, you know, do the coolest, newest thing ever. Uh, we need to innovate. But maybe that's not true for your city. Maybe it's just better to replicate at this point and check out what the others have done and see how you can use what is already there and and, and just implement that in, in, in a city. And as you say, sometimes it just doesn't need to be the fancy stuff. You need the foundations in place first, whatever that might be in, in your case and in, in the city that you are working in. So yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. So let's go to Open and Agile Smart Cities. Can you give us a little bit of an overview? We'll do like, you know, the very 101 for people who don't know who you are and then, yeah, kind of lead on to uh, things you've been working on and yeah, mm-hmm. future plans, something like that. Sure, with pleasure. With Open and Agile Smart Cities, I'm not sure if I have the, the three-minute elevator pitch because it's it's actually quite broad what we're doing. But just to give you a bit of background as well. So first of all, we are a city network, an international uh, network of cities and communities. At the moment, we have um, 100, uh, more than 150 members across 31 countries from Australia to South Korea, Japan. A lot of our member cities are based in Europe because this is also sort of where we were born, if you want to call it like that. But we also have members in Mexico, in Argentina and, and Brazil. So we're quite spanning the globe. 
at this stage, and we're also continue uh, still we're continuing to grow. We started out as a grassroots organization, um, basically as a forum where some people came together from a more academic background, also the city background, figuring out that at the moment, so that was around five, six years ago, that there is an issue with innovation and, and smart city technology. Usually from there's a lot of funding coming from national uh, levels. In, in the case of Europe, there's a lot of EU funding as well going into cities, into innovation, funding experimentation, proofs of concepts, and so on and so forth. And often when, when this funding sort of dried up, also the innovation in the city, the proofs of concepts, they just you know died down because the funding was gone. It's like, how is that? What is the issue with you know smart city tech in, in that case? And well, a couple of people came together to you know found open and natural smart cities and the idea back then was okay we need something we need some technical enablers actually that allow services and solutions to be replicated to be scaled from one city to the other from within the city to a bigger full-fledged sort of solution back then we weren't quite sure how this was going to happen but we had a couple of principles like open data, shared data models, and so on, and, and publishing data as well. Then one of our founding organizations, Aarhus University, came to lead one of the biggest smart city projects funded by the EU back in the time, which was called Synchronicity. This was also the time when OAC then also got uh, finally legally incorporated as an NGO, and we were finally really able to, to also work with our cities and to support them better. And within Synchronicity, we developed with a team of almost 40 partners, the minimal interoperability mechanisms, also MIMS. It's quite a tongue breaker and even I stumble across this word oftentimes. So basically we thought about what is minimally needed um, to exchange data, to exchange services, to exchange solutions between cities. And uh, we came up with three uh, mechanisms. One is uh, context information management, shared data models and enablers for marketplaces. And what is important is that these mechanisms are built on open standards and are uh, validated by our member cities. So we are, uh, in short, a very technically oriented uh, network trying to support cities and our member cities in their digital transformation by recommending sort of open standards that they can use in, in their procurement for uh, urban data platforms and so on and so forth. What we're trying to achieve is a sort of plug-and-play way of uh, doing things with cities so that they have you know, the full choice without getting locked into a vendor. That's important for us. Uh, and we try to do this uh, with our cities, but we also work with companies and with institutional partners like universities, research centers, and so on. So that's quite important for us as well to bring all these diverse stakeholders together. Yeah, yeah. And so you've been uh, going for about five or six years now, is that right? Exactly. Actually, we had our fifth anniversary uh, last year in March, and we wanted to celebrate that, but then COVID happened. So we need to see when we're going to Have celebrate a virtual, that with our Virtual friends. party. That's true. But then it. we also had our City by City conference, which was our first oh, big yes. virtual sort of party. Yes, I was there. Yes, indeed. It was great to have you and also the, the Australian colleagues. That's right. It was um, with James, Pete and Marcus uh, Fort and yeah, some others from Queensland, which was amazing. It was a great panel. I really enjoyed it. 
Anyway, enough about me again, but I will talk about me a little bit more. I was just going to say we had our 100,000 downloads party and all virtually. And to be honest, I think I probably would have had it virtually anyway because we have, you know, people all around the world. But also probably, yeah, I an in-person definitely would have been a fun event as well. But anyway, things can happen later on. Indeed. I think it was also the fact that it was just, you know, the week before um, we had our party plans, the lockdown was announced. And uh, back then we were just like, okay, we just canceled that. But now we also know that if you organize events, especially as an international uh, city network, it's just so much more inclusive towards all your members to do it digitally. Now in January, we did a full-fledged digital event. But also in the future, even if we get past this pandemic at some point, we will certainly keep a digital component to our um, events because it's simply a better way to get in touch with with all your members, not just the European ones or wherever you host a physical event. So um, that's also an important aspect, I think, in, in this discussion. When we're saying we are network connecting smart cities and communities, we also need to ensure that we do not only connect those who are already advanced, but we also need to provide means to support and connect those who might not have the means to travel, you know, from, I don't know, whatever place in the world to a physical meeting just to participate for two days. Mm. Well, traveling anywhere from Australia is a long trip. Yes, that is certainly true. (laughs) But yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think the future will definitely, yeah, will be a mix, right? It'll be a combination of a bunch of digital events or a series of digital events that, you know, partaking, you learn stuff, you connect with people, but yeah, those face-to-face ones, when we can do it, whenever that happens to be, uh, then I guess we'll draw more people into then just come together and have that, you know, we were just talking about, you know, in the pre-chat about how you met Matt Schultz and, you know, you'd known him online and so Matt Schultz was the president of the Australian Smart Communities Association, people who don't know, but yeah, then meeting him in person, then you've got a different connection there and then you take that with you then back into your digital professional relationship so yeah it's going to be interesting moving forward but i think that's what smart cities is about as well it's how do we have that basic digital connectivity so we can do these things but then also enhance that with the face-to-face and human connections that i think we probably forget we need until we uh are separated from each other (laughs) quite significantly across the world but i've always found and i know i've talked to people on the podcast too i think that kind of uh, older thinking or previous thinking was you need to meet that person face-to-face first, then you can have a digital you know, connection with that person in a professional sense. But for me, it was always the opposite because I would talk to people on the podcast and I and we wouldn't even have video on, to be honest. I've started using video since COVID and it's a different you know, experience. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think it can go either way. So currently, I'm also working on a, on a European project with a couple of partners called Duets, um, and it's about digital twins, which is also a really interesting topic at the moment in the smart city and community sphere. And there we also started out. Um, so we had still the kickoff meeting of this three, three year project. We met, but of course, also even during our first meeting, you know, we don't make these connections. And then COVID happened and we shifted to doing everything online. And it was actually possible to build connections with colleagues. And the project is doing fine, even though we haven't met for a year now. And it's quite interesting to see how you can also build these connections online. It's possible. I think we just yeah. need to make it possible as well. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like we, I delivered a number of projects last year online and like traditional, you know, projects that would have been traditionally going into the office, going on site, you know, those type of things, but we were able to deliver them online. And then I'm currently delivering two projects remotely and it's not even the clients remote, like my whole team, like I've got people yeah, where I'm contracting to, I've got you know, somebody in Sydney and someone in Melbourne and uh, yeah, it, and it works well, but there are different things. It's a different way to like leading in a digital world is very different to leading face-to-face. And I think there'll be so many nuances and things that we'll learn during this time that will then be applicable moving forward. Like, you know, I think that will come as we progress through, but definitely that adoption of technology is one thing and like digital literacy, but digital leadership and how you continue to lead and build trust and all those things is going to be this new skill set that, yeah, we're going to have to develop and harness over time. Yeah, I fully agree. Actually, I haven't even thought about the term digital leadership in that sense. So it's quite interesting also for me to think about it, but I fully agree with your, with your point. Yes, I made it up. I'm sure someone else came up with it too. But yeah, I was doing some, I did a keynote and it was on the seven predictions. And one was like that you'll be able to get a master's in digital leadership, you know, 2021, 2022, because it'll be so important. But anyway, that's my IP painted and master's course. If anyone needs it, no, I haven't really painted it, but hey. Make sure, make sure you get a copyright on it soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants to work on it with me, let me know. Anyway, enough about me. We're going to go back over to you. Now, we're going to, do you have any other projects or things you want to share or do you want to move into the future and talk about future trends? Um, of course, there's a lot going on actually at the moment from our side that we're doing. So I just mentioned uh, one of the projects that we're working on is Digital Twins. And it's, I don't know how it is in, in, in Australia at the moment, but in Europe, that's the hot topic at the moment. It's sort of, it replaces the whole smart city uh, hype. And now we have this digital uh, urban twin hype actually coming along. And I think it's an interesting like, use case for managing data better, making predictions, using AI, um, helping cities uh, to make decisions by testing them out first in a physical environment and see how it plays out before actually moving around um, building blocks and, and streets and close up things uh, in, in real life. But I think we need to be a bit careful as well. I think because it's such a, such a hype at the moment and everybody's jumping on board, we need to make sure that we get the foundations right in order to make sure that we deliver also on the um, promise. That's the word. Mm. So that we deliver on the promise that digital twins are uh, yeah, just setting out there. And I think here we, we also need to talk again about what are the, the standards we're building this on? How do we integrate data? How do we make sure that new data can be integrated easily? How can we make sure that data that is actually in these digital twins or feeding digital twins is of good quality? How do we make sure that, you know, you are not actually making decisions based on already biased data or mm. maybe skewed algorithms and so on and so forth. So it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting field to to work on. And it's also interesting to see all the excitement around this, um, especially when you talk to cities, there is so much going on from Vienna to, I think, uh, South Korea, Busan, Zedong, everyone is, mm. is, is doing it. And there's so much to learn from each other at the moment. And as long as we keep 
in mind that we need to ensure that these platforms and, and digital twins are replicable and scalable, then I think we're on a good track. So mm. I'm really excited to see where this is going in the next couple of years. Yeah, me too. And I think you're right. We are in kind of like the hype cycle and then we'll go into the trough of disillusionment and then we'll come out the other side of like the realistic, you know, things that are happening. I really hope we don't, you know, see we're, we're not going to go that down to be disillusioned, but hopefully. Well. But maybe we'll only be there for a short time. I think that happened with smart cities, to be honest. I don't know how you felt in Europe, but we definitely went through like a mega hype and then we've come back down again and then people go, what actually, what are we actually doing with this? And we're, I feel um, that the space is, yeah, is maturing globally, um, but obviously in each country it's a little bit different. But, yeah, then we're kind of coming out the other side and I think it's a brilliant time to be in this space because then you can make real things happen, which is, for me, really important. The hype was, you know, it's a fun time to be in a space, um, but but it's also like, oh, what are we actually doing here? And so coming out the other side I think is really important. But, yeah, to your point, hopefully we don't get too disillusioned and completely, you know, we're not doing this anymore at all. But yeah, I think in the next few years, it'll be really interesting. I guess like I, you were talking about the things that are important. And I think the other one is, what's the use case? Like what are the particular use cases we're going to use this for? And I think that'll help us pull out of the trough when we get there quickly. Cause it's like, oh, okay, this can be used for ABCD. And I've seen this happen in, you know, these places or in that type of thing. Yeah, I think some of the use cases are, are definitely already being explored. What we see in, in the project that we're currently doing is, again, mobility is, is one of the first use, use cases that come to mind. Every every city, actually, no matter how big, has some sort of battle with air pollution. I think that is uh, one of the cases that are always interesting to see. How can you you know measure the impact of of roadblocks or or you know transforming streets into into pedestrian streets potentially what how does that impact the surrounding in terms of traffic flow how does that impact the levels of air pollution and it just gives you uh, if you use it right it gives a policymaker like the visual tools and, and the visualizations like a real you can see what happens if it's done right and, and it makes just decisions mm-hmm. i think clearer at some point it just can help to to make that decision when you see okay we closed this one street and it has, you know, a lots of positive effects. Maybe there are some negative ones, but they're outweighed. So let's go ahead and test this for half a year, for example. I think it, it helps making decisions, but I agree we need to, I think, go beyond that mobility use case to make it more useful. But again, I'm, I'm really interested to see where this is going, if we can get this right. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And even that mobility use, I think that's a good use case, right? And obviously the, the cost and the return on investment has to be, I guess, identified and worked out. But yeah, I agree. I'm really excited to see what else we can do with it because there's things we won't even be thinking of now that we'll be able to do. And I also think like there's an undervalued like asset management, for example, like the inefficiencies in assets and asset and managing assets is way underrated of how much it costs a city or even a business. And I think if we can have a better way to manage our assets in a really accurate way, we know, you know, what the ASCON, so as constructed, like they're not as constructed drawings. They're the actual thing that we can see. That's what gets me really excited because I'm a bit of a nerd in assets these days and, and particularly roads and road signs and all those type of things. And not that you need a full digital twin to do that, but those foundations that you were talking about, that those are the things we can start now by having 
digital twins of the actual assets to start with that feeds into the bigger twin, but actually having those data protocols set up, you know, this is the format that you need to give us stuff in. Because I think we underestimate humans' ability to make decisions in 3D when we're looking at things in 2D. Yeah, that for sure. I think when you also mention assets, it's interesting to see because we just had a demo of our first version of the Little Twin in that project, um, which was super exciting. And I mean, you can map everything, every asset. You can even map the trees uh, in a city, right? So you see exactly where the tree is. And that's super cool. I mean, this is just a whole different way of doing it. And I I think it can also get people excited across departments, not only the, the digital or uh, smart city department, mm. whatever it might be called. I think in order to make also digital twins more successful, I think there needs to be a, a good dialogue, first of all, also with the colleagues in the urban planning departments, because they've, of course, been using other tools that they're familiar with, that they like to use, that are giving them all the stuff they need. And they maybe don't see exactly, so why should we now using a whole different platform, digital twins and so on. But for other departments, it might be a bit more obvious because they say, okay, we have data there and we could integrate that. We see how it works with different data and we can get completely new results. And that's quite interesting, but I think it's still a long way to go there because it's also a mindset question, right? Do I want to share my data with the colleagues from a different department? Do we have that data? Maybe the data is with a company that doesn't want to share because, yeah, we missed an agreement that we want to get the data from what you're collecting in our city. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes the city needs to buy the data because there's just no way of getting it otherwise. But I think it sparks a whole different new process within administrations to say, hmm, okay, that could be possible if we actually work across the different departments and work together. But it requires a, really a lot of effort, actually, from those in the cities who, who are doing it from the digital perspective side. I think we need to overcome, as like, first, you know, if we get the foundation straight, uh, we need to, you know, find the right standards and ways to actually build it technically. But then how do we change the mindset and how do we get this on board? And it is really, really important when you do something like that and work towards use cases, but that you get also the policymakers in your in your local government actually on board from day one and, and get the support from them because otherwise I think it's a, a lost quest. Somehow we can see. But there are so many different angles from, from which you can look at this and and uh yeah, in order to make it successful. Mm. It's uh it's really interesting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And there's so many moving parts. And yeah, I guess like even having a twin across a, a nation, some you know, as big as Australia, it's a it's a big challenge, right? And so, you know, having those states, but then how do we make sure that the standards are the same across the states so that we can share across the lines and and I imagine, you know, similar in Europe, crossing borders and all those type of things. So and I guess bringing up the data sharing aspect of it is is something that we maybe not don't talk about as much as getting people to talk across departments in a in a way that makes sense. So yeah, that's important too. Yeah, and I mean for me, of course, it's easy to say I'm not working in a local government, um, but uh, I think we're getting there. Many cities are realizing that at the moment, and oftentimes you simply need one person that is thinking ahead, that is doing it, that is running around, you know, going to talk to different people from different departments, and. If you find these people who are accessible, then it can go fast. Um, it's just about the matter of doing it. And um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I really find it fascinating uh, also to see. And, and that is one of the perks of my job working with so many cities is to get these insights into 
how cities operate. Mm. Okay, let's go to the future now. We're talking about emerging trends. So what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? Yeah, I think we talked a lot about emerging trends that we, you know, everybody is talking about, the digital twins. I think it's a, a tough one. You know, what are emerging trends that people are not talking about? I think one thing that is not actually a trend, but that people are not talking about enough are standards and interoperability. I think this is just such an unsexy topic that nobody's like, yeah, standards, you know, it's like somebody else will deal with this. I don't want to get into this. I don't want to get into this mess of, you know, navigating these thousands of standards that might be relevant for my city. So I think it's completely underrated in many aspects. But I think this is one part that we need to talk about, really. And maybe this is also me working for OAUC, as we are a very technically oriented uh, network. Uh, but I think this is something we need to talk about more. And we need to exchange about more across uh, local governments, across national governments, um, but also across continents. And I think this is really important to sort of uh, find a way to extract these standards that are open, minimal, that we can converge on, sort of. One of our core partners, uh, Connected Places Catapult out of the UK, they found out at some point that there are more than 10,000 standards for smart cities. And of course, oh this, this sort of includes everything, also from the verticals to horizontal standards, but more than 10,000 standards that are actually relevant for cities and communities, or potentially relevant. I mean, that's madness. And how do you um, expect one smart city manager to to navigate this? So I think we need to find out what can we do to converge on standards that are essential uh, for the digital transformation. And this is something that I think we're not talking enough about. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I've had a couple of people on the podcast. Chris Cooper, from, he's from the UK. He talks a lot about standards. And then I've also had V. Lay from... Um, I think she's moved on from, from Standards Australia, but she's uh, leading some of that coordination of uh, smart cities groups. So we've got a whole bunch of groups happening, but then converging from a global level as well, I think uh, is important. So yeah, no, thanks for bringing up the unsexy, but very relevant. And I, I think it's sexy, you know, like it's foundational stuff that needs to happen. Uh, maybe, okay, it's probably not, I'm drawing a long bow there, but it's important. Okay, I know I've gone over time now and it's been great to chat with you and um, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. I just have one last question. It's an easy one, which is how can people connect with you? Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look me up under my name. I think there are not so many so with that last name. <laughs> um, you can also send me an email at leah at oacities.org. And yeah, follow OAC on, on the channels, Twitter and, uh, and LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to being in touch with everyone. Yes. And we'll put the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. And yeah, thanks again, Leo, for coming onto the podcast. Thanks for the invitation. I really had a lot of fun. And honestly, I could really talk to you for ages about this. So we'll talk I hope we can have a you know, beer at some point um, or wine or whatever it is or non-alcoholic drinks. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> don't. Don't tell anyone I am drinking gin. It is Friday night. For me, it's too early. I cannot yeah. start drinking gin at 9.30 in the morning. Well, now it's 10 actually, so it's still way too early. Close, close. Um, it's your Friday afternoon, so. Well, thanks again. And, um, yeah, we'll talk soon. So we'll say goodbye. And, yeah, look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye. Awesome. Thanks so much, Zoe. Bye-bye. Bye.
The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.